Welcome to the Partnership Economy. This podcast explores the power of partnerships through candid conversations with industry leaders. Join our hosts, Dave Yavano, CEO, and Todd Crawford, co-founder of Impact.com, as they unpack the future of partnerships as a lever for scale and an opportunity to put the consumer first. Today, I'm joined by Mila Ali, SVP of Commerce at BuzzFeed, and Bryce Weidlitz, VP of Publisher Innovation at Impact.com, formerly CNN underscored. And I thought we'd just start right out of the gate with a, a bit of a lightning round question to kick us off. Would love it if you could just introduce yourself and your role, and then just briefly answer two questions. What are you most excited about currently, and what keeps you up at night? Cool. I'm happy to take it, Dave. Uh, Bryce Weidlitz, uh, VP of Publisher Innovation at Impact.com, formerly at uh, CNN Underscored, where at CNN I was there for about seven and a half years, uh, focused on finding new and innovative ways to drive revenue, founded CNN Underscored, grew it from a team of about zero to 30, and recently joined Impact, um, where I'm focused on helping publishers to further monetize and bring new tools and capabilities with a focus on trackonomics. I'd say what I'm most excited about is talking to my former former uh, competitors and uh, publisher friends about new ways to help them monetize. Um, I'm super excited about some of the stuff that I'm working on to grow the partnership and affiliate space. So I'm really uh, excited about um, some of the new revenue generating products that I'm, I'm working on. And then what keeps me up at night, I think, is just the fast pace of the industry that we're in and the constant need to innovate and get to market first and how I can make sure without not getting any sleep that I can uh, make sure that we deliver on everything we need to and in a timely fashion before others get to it before us. So that's uh, what I'm focused on and what keeps me up at night. Awesome. Bryce, thanks for sharing and, and welcome. Thanks for joining us today. And Neela, how about you? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So I'm Neela Ali, the SVP of commerce at BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed is a digital leading media company, if you are not familiar. Um, what leading commerce at BuzzFeed entails is we have a massive affiliate business that has been in the works for a little over five years at this stage, where we have a team of writers curating the internet, writing shopping content, and we fuel that with partnerships um, in the retail space, but also across many categories. Um, I also oversee our retail and direct-to-consumer advertising business, which interestingly enough, the two worlds are starting to um, work together a lot more closely. In terms of what I'm most excited about, one very particular project I'm super excited about right now is live shopping, but I think it ladders into a larger theme of what are new ways we can get consumers to find interesting products, engage with content creators, and make it as easy as possible to shop from that content. And what keeps me up at night is not too dissimilar than um, what Bryce said, is just innovating fast enough. And I don't necessarily think it's about like, for me, getting there first, but it's more like, how do we do it right? And anticipating what are consumers looking for? Um, because I think every generation's behaviors are completely different, which is an exciting challenge to face. But I think what you do for Gen Z versus millennials versus Gen X is completely different. And it's a fun challenge to crack, but definitely keeps me up at night mm -hmm. <laughs> in terms of how can we make sure we're doing it right. Thanks, Neela, and welcome as well. And so one common theme that I'm noticing here between both of your experiences is experience with these large commerce groups within these publishing firms. It seems like this has been a massive trend in publishing over the last five or so years. I don't recall 
these large commerce teams inside of publishing organizations years ago. Could you maybe just share a little bit about the evolution of content and monetization uh, at these large publishing companies? Bryce, you know, I know, for example, that you've led the efforts and building out Underscored at CNN. Could you tell us a little bit more about the commerce side of publishing and how that's evolved? Yeah, no, happy to. So it was a journey at CNN to say the least, um, but you know, it was a space that we saw was was of interest and that there was demand and interest from our audience and that this content resonated. So for example, you know, when there was an article about a specific retailer or shopper that there would be interest and there'd be a high engagement rate. And it was just one of those things that didn't happen overnight, but it built over time. First, you know, in 2017, we really began to experiment, hired, you know, two editors. And then after that, started to look at what the data showed us um, and were able to say like, okay, it looks like, you know, tech is doing very well, or it looks like, you know, health is doing really well. We need subject matter experts. And over time, you know, built the editorial team, um, built the business team, built the data team. Um, but it really, it doesn't happen overnight. And I, I think the best content publishers are the ones that leverage data to drive their decisions and then invest in the right areas. So, you know, um, always saw others in the in the industry that were doing it very well. And, you know, I think some of the largest now have upwards of a hundred person um content commerce organization. Um, but really, I think it's an evolution uh, and, and really focused on the insights that you have and where you can pivot and adapt. Like if your audience is you know, uh, coming from search, then you need to find probably an SEO manager, invest more heavily in search. If social is where your audience is, um, you need to find you know, and recruit more social folks that can amplify your commerce content. So I think it really just, it depends on the content commerce organization and where their audience is, and then building strategy to direct towards that specific, you know, referral source. I just want to pull on that thread uh, just for a second there. When you talk about a vertical like health or, or content about health, I want to separate information-based content that, um, you know, could be about a health condition versus uh, what we refer to as the commerce side of content, which is You've got um, people who are um, searching to buy uh, a product of a certain type. Did you mean um, the former or the latter, where people are are kind of uh, searching and trying to discover products uh, within a health vertical to buy? And then you have a team of editors that are kind of serving that information need about uh, commerce, essentially. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I think at a big media organization, you can piggyback off the data and insights you have from your analytics suite in terms of where um, your users are, whether it's in health or tech, but then specifically, you know, we did dive into more specific product recommendations within those verticals that we saw there was audience interest. So when we saw there was audience interest in wellness, we then created articles around, you know, the best products to help you sleep at night or the best products, you know, the best gadgets or the best smartwatches. And so it was commerce specific content, but it was based on audience information and data for where our audience already navigated to when they came to the website. That's super interesting. And Neela, you obviously have a large remit with a, a number of publishing brands that are part of that BuzzFeed portfolio. So besides BuzzFeed, it includes these identity-driven lifestyle brands like Nifty, and then there's HuffPost. Uh, and you yourself have spent time at uh, companies like Time Inc. So you've seen a lot of publishing over the years. How are editors 
connecting with readers today and what, what are the trends regarding how that's tied to monetization? Yeah. I mean, when I first started in the affiliate space over six years ago, I think that separation of church and state was a huge sticking point for a lot of writers kind of pursuing commerce affiliate opportunities. It felt like it was um, distrustful for the audience, for them to be recommending products within their content and for that those product recommendations to then be monetized. But I think as we fast forward to the state of commerce now, I think as the editorial teams kind of recognize that good product recommendations are an indication of them doing their job well, it's like they're actually recommending products that users are not only shopping, but keeping because the fun fact with affiliate is we don't get paid if a product is returned. I think it actually became that their roles almost um, evolved more similarly to like a merchandiser at a retail brand, um, which ultimately that's what a merchandiser does is like you're a buyer, you understand what your consumer base is wanting in the market, you know what the new trends are, you create new products and you kind of optimize your business around that. Editorial teams are effectively the same thing. They're tastemakers, they're using their kind of expertise to make decisions and the fact that they do the best job at curating all the options on the internet. So if a consumer is ultimately buying their recommendations, like that's a good thing. And I think there's many savvy writers now who understand that. I don't think it's at, I don't think there's this trade-off of like editorial integrity or writing commerce content. I actually think they go hand in hand. Um, And generally, I think most writers um, see that a long-term successful affiliate business has editorial integrity at its core. Um, so I definitely think that's a more kind of prevalent trend now. There's a lot of writers and talent in the space who are willing, who are excited actually to write about commerce content. Um, but it certainly isn't a trend that happened overnight. And and kind of back in the day, that was definitely a sticking point for a lot of publishers. Yeah, that I think that authenticity point that you're making is an important one. I think a lot, honestly, personally, what what has driven uh, the growth in your teams at your respective organizations where you've been is really that attitude and behavior of the modern consumer. I think people are just buying a lot more things today compared to five years ago. It's it's like that dopamine high that you get when someone likes your post in social media. I think people get that same high when a package arrives at their door every day. It's like shopping's almost become the sport uh, as well, where people are kind of competing with each other on social media with, with commerce trends. And there's just a lot more choices that are out there. There's something like 2 million stores on Shopify now. That's just incredible. And so I think with all these choices that are out there today that didn't exist five plus years ago, uh, the modern consumer needs help. They need some guidance on what's trending and specifically what to buy. And it seems like that is the role of today's editors, influencers, other content creators. They're kind of that modern salesperson working for the brand. But I guess when you look at it, you know, doing it in that authentic fashion, they're really working for the customer, the consumer, which is the cool part of this evolution, I think. So maybe a, just a direct question to, to both of you, how do editors, influencers, other content creators maintain that balance of being authentic while at the same time getting paid? I mean, yeah. I think that's, oh, sorry, Bryce, but I, I was going to say that's again, kind of at the core of affiliate is and I actually even think it's less being a salesperson. I just think that's how people discover content. It's like my sister buys something and she texts me about it and is raving about how amazing it is. And then I go research it and I end up buying it. And then I tell my friend about it. So this kind of like referral word of mouth trend is something that I think has been a part of consumer behavior for as long as kind of products have been around. 
I think we've now just created models to attribute that sort of influence and also create incentive models where advertisers can actually lean into effectively word of mouth advertising at scale. So I think, again, if I'm a creator or an influencer or an expert in any given space, if I'm giving bad recommendations, like my credibility is on the line and that's not going to be a long-term sustainable way to operate. It's so kind I think self, it's kind of self-policing that way. If you very will. much yeah. self-policing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I think it's, it's great in that sense. It's like the incentives are both aligned between like the influencer and their audience, but also the advertiser and the influencer, mm-hmm. um, which I think in itself kind of checks the influencer and ensures that they're actually being credible in the recommendations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I totally agree as someone that has been influenced several times in the past year and a half, mm-hmm. especially with the pandemic. I mean, I am uh, not at home today, but I, I bought comfy shorts and, you know, comfy shoes and comfy shirts. And I think more and more people are, are buying things to get that surge of you know happiness or what else can I do to feel fulfilled? Um, and then, you know, the surge of online, like grocery delivery and food delivery. And, and I think that's exactly right. What, what Mila said in terms of, you know, how you hear things through word of mouth, like I'll tell everyone about my favorite comfy shorts now, because there's no reason everyone shouldn't have them. But I do think as an editorial perspective, you have that same excitement to share and the influence. It's not like, Hey, that's awesome. I got a million page views. It's actually very cool to know that the way that you articulated something and the way that you tested something and you're solving a problem or if you don't sleep well at night for whatever reason, is there an alarm clock that you use that, you know, uh, soothes you at night or, you know, a a meditation app or whatever it might be. And so I think everyone is, you know, especially in the past two years and surge in the affiliate partnership space, especially in an e-commerce is looking for some kind of relief. And I think that's helped to surge um, this type of content even more is like how to cater to those specific needs and what people are looking for. But I do feel like, especially going back to what Mila said, like five years ago when I was hiring at you know CNN, it was not easy to find an editor. And it was kind of like, that's that's not journalism. And you know, it's it's a different type of journalism, it's service journalism. And so I think now it's so much more welcomed and appreciated. And that's why we're seeing a big boom. But I think uh, a lot of the time um, you can't just say you think something's cool. You have to mm-hmm. give more reasoning, like that you actually used it or you leverage sources that you know back up your claims. And so I think that's how it's becoming more popular is because it's not just like, this is a cool product, buy it, but it's mm-hmm. it's backed with facts and information yeah. um, that cater to a specific individual. Yeah. It almost seems like we've witnessed a change in shopping behavior where it used to be more passive. I think people would go to the mall uh, and it was this experience. You would just trip over products, essentially. You would buy what you came across. I don't think that that happens today. Maybe the, uh, the pandemic has um, just really kind of accelerated this active form of shopping, right? Where people are, you know, checking 15 resource points on before they buy, especially a high consideration item. There's, I'm sure, uh, impulse purchases that happen straight from an ad. But, you know, let's say you're you're buying a tennis racket, you know, like, like I did recently myself, I'm checking different reviews, uh, different videos, people demoing things. I could tell you, I, you know, I'm not paying attention to what the tennis manufacturer is telling me, I don't, I don't trust that or believe that obviously that's uh, that's biased, but you want to hear honest reviews and recommendations and opinions on people who have some experience with that product. And I think that is becoming the standard way that, that people are purchasing. And again, that's the role that publishers I think are, 
are playing in this in this exchange. And so, you know, just pulling on that thread, I'd be curious to know, you know, what 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 goes into what's that effort that goes into creating commerce-based content? Uh, if you're an influencer, obviously we understand, you know, I've seen unboxing videos and they're just excited about it. I just love uh, the passion that a lot of the smaller publishers kind of put into their reviews, but in inside the larger publishing organizations, what is that effort for that team of editors to put commerce-based content together, which is kind of different from other, other types of content that might be published? I mean, really, and it's the simplest answer. It's like data is at the core of everything we do. And I think it's very difficult to develop an affiliate business without having the right data infrastructure in place. And what that means is like, what content performs well, what brands do well, what products, what price point, which, which channels do certain pieces of content perform better or worse. And effectively, our strategy is just looking at the data, understanding where their signal, doing more or less based on what the data is telling us is actually working with our audience. The interesting thing with BuzzFeed's business that I would say is a bit different than other publishers is we do actually fall more on the impulse spectrum. I would say typically the sales we see in the product categories that do well are consumers who are passively browsing on platforms like Apple News or on Facebook or on Instagram. They happen to stumble upon a post that addresses problems that are kind of widely had and they end up buying something from our content. So I would say that does somewhat change the nature of how we go about content development. I think some other publishers might focus more on SEO or where they, as Bryce was saying earlier, see current signal around categories or products or expertise that the consumer is coming to them for. For us, it's more what do we think users are widely just like searching for interested in and what is at a price point that realistically would drive that sort of impulse purchase. Um, So for us, it's really somewhat of a volume game. It's like creating and helping curate as many products as possible. But really, it's like we're creating content for social. So we use a signal that we're seeing from social to then drive our content and product um, selection decisions. And we just use that data feedback loop to keep refining our strategy. Excellent. Anything to add to that, Bryce? Yeah, I was going to say very, very similar on the data front, but I think the you know difference is um, different publishers operate differently, and that's why you know we're, we're always able to to share to a degree. Like publishers, we never share like our revenue figures, but can share you know some effective strategies. But with us, it was also based on data, knowing like you know that the audience, you know, does your audience how you know what's their age range? Are they wealthier? Are they more savvy deal shoppers? But what we quickly found is our audience um, was very interested in, in deals. And so that's when you start, you know, verticalizing. So, you know, setting up your organization, um, like a true editorial organization where you have subject matter experts, like a, a deals expert, then you might, you know, find that like, oh, actually the in-depth reviews work really well. And not only because people want to consume the information, but because it does do well on search. So then you go heavier into, uh, you know, more in-depth reviews. So like getting 10 products, testing 10 products for, you know, however many hours based on durability, aesthetic, you know, appeal, price. And so it really ranges, but I'd say there's there's the bucket of deals, which is finding the best deals at the best prices from the best brands, or, you know, sometimes we call them hidden gems, which was like brands you haven't heard of, but that are super awesome that you should know about. And then it's just doing, you know, then there's the seasonal related like holidays, uh, Post gift guides. Um, but then really there's the in-depth reviews that take, I think, the most time. And it's how you bucket by category. Um, but again, it's all based on the data that you receive. For example, like, you know, in affiliate content and partnerships revenue, you don't 
earn revenue from you know getting 10 million page views you get mm-hmm. revenue by when someone actually converts so like unless it's a true service you know journalism type article where you don't care and you know every organization should be doing some form of that or a how-to but in most cases you don't want to keep writing about a topic or a theme that doesn't resonate mm-hmm. with your audience so yeah, it does, again, it it does, does seem that, that it, it does seem editors today are more in tune with their audience than they were let's say 10 years ago like my i don't know this as a fact but my feeling is the editors uh, of late, I think, you know, just kind of decided what 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 news was fit to print. It was very much an editorial decision, just based on what they thought. And I think today, I think both of you are raising an excellent point about uh, tuning into the data. What is the data telling us? And to be clear, I'm assuming what that data is is you're following SEO trends, you're following social trends, you're following uh, survey trends. You may be asking your audience exactly, you know, what they're interested in hearing about. Um, and, you know, just as an example, I was talking with someone from uh, New York Times' Wirecutter recently, like they find out that their audience is in the market to buy a 4K TV, but they're too expensive. So their editors are going to get together, um, you know, um, do their research on all the different brands that are out there and give some recommendations to their audience to help guide that purchase decision. So it's exactly what we're talking about. This podcast is brought to you by Impact.com, the leading global partnership management platform. Impact.com is your marketplace to discover and manage all types of partnerships, including affiliates, influencers, B2B partners, and commerce content publishers. Maybe along those lines, just uh, just out of curiosity, do you feel that consumers today are are in market for more of that commerce-based content, like like to help guide purchase decisions versus like entertainment or other types of content? What's your what's your feeling in terms of the demand um, just in general for uh, what, what consumers are searching for? I mean, based on what we see through the lens of our business, there's absolutely appetite for both. Um, I think consumers still look to content for entertainment and the forms of content are obviously evolving. There's short form form content, there's UGC content, there's Netflix content. I certainly don't think the demand for that has diminished, but I think at the same time, there's a whole new demand for that more service driven content that is related to commerce and shopping. But I also think within that kind of, again, back to our discussion is like, there's the very um, highly like the content that requires extensive reviewing and that requires like going very deep on a particular product or there's content somewhat similar to BuzzFeeds that's just more so a curation of all the possible things you can buy on the internet under one specific topic or frame or kind of consumer need. So I think the range of the sort of commerce content is actually goes from like the entertainment side of the spectrum to like very, very detailed research-based content. Um, so it's maybe not a helpful answer to say like all of the above is kind of on the trend, but we certainly are not seeing like a trade-off between us. Commerce content goes up, our entertainment content is going down. Seems like both are actually net growing. Yeah, I was going to say the same. I think it depends on the publishing vertical that you're into. Like a news audience is going to have likely more people coming for for news, but a entertainment audience, more entertainment. But I think in general, all publishers, and we've seen from you know uh, the data that we have across impact, across trackonomics, um, that all publishers' commerce content traffic and revenues are going up substantially. And I think there's, again, going back to the point from earlier, there's just a lot more interest because people are hungry to buy things to make them happier. And and I think that there's definitely like, I wouldn't say that like one is exceeding the other, 
but I think similarly they're they're all rising. But the one thing that you will note is that I think the more engaged time is with the shopping related content that people are spending more time reading on the page rather than like a quick, you know, you read the headline and like, okay, this entertainment person, like uh, something happened versus like reading the article in depth and then staying on or going back to make the purchase. So I, I echo Mila in that I think it's all going up, but certainly the percentage um, of everything is, 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 is growing as a whole too. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. I don't know if it's related, but I heard recently that the content, uh, the most popular content on the streamers now, so the Netflix and the Hulus, is more of the docu-series content. There's been a, a spike in that relative to, I guess, what I would call more entertainment or um, kind of the passive lean back um, mode of content. I mean, the reality is people are in different modes at different times, uh, but it is, is uh, interesting to kind of see what seems to be kind of uh, growing demand for information, um, accessing information about buying decisions. So I just find that fascinating. So we were on a, um, on a path where we're talking about that level of effort from a publisher perspective on kind of creating that commerce-based um, uh, content. I had a follow-up question to that, you know, because I, I think both of you have both had amazing experience in this. And that is um, from the, um, the, the business or the advertiser side of things, like connecting with that style of content um, to, to be part of it, right? It's not like buying an ad. This isn't the coin operated world of search. You know, you put a dollar in and you get a click back. It, it does require a partnership with editors if you want to get your, your brand kind of mentioned uh, and provide uh, commercial links to those editors uh, for monetization. What, what could you share in terms of that experience? Neela, maybe starting with you on how, how BuzzFeed connects with brands to be part of that commerce content that you're publishing. I mean, from to build a successful commerce business, it's truly not a set it and forget it partnership model. I think the most successful way to scale up an affiliate business is to have a more kind of limited subset of advertisers that you know perform really well with your audience that your editorial team has a strong affinity for and to go really deep on those relationships. And I think it's really about finding ways to align incentive between the advertiser and the publisher. Because again, the beauty of the affiliate space is like publishers are adding value to their uh, audience bases, kind of needs and reason why they're coming to the publisher. But it's like, if you're adding an advertiser to the equation, like that value has to be additive. So in theory, an advertiser giving a publisher more money means the publisher can create more of the content, which means it's servicing the audience in an even better way, or it allows the publisher to explore new forms of content like live commerce or like video commerce that might not necessarily have direct return, but long-term it's actually ultimately benefiting the consumer and benefiting the advertiser. So I think really savvy advertisers understand that. It's like effectively the publisher is almost working on the behalf of their own business goals. And they're both kind of facilitating a partnership that ultimately is additive to the consumer's experience, which is the goal of both the publisher and the advertiser. Um, but again, those sorts of models require a lot of strategy, aligning incentives, working together, creating workflows that maybe haven't existed in the past because it's not like direct sold media where you can just kind of like write an IO, deliver on views. And it's like an industry that has been around for, for decades. So it's... I don't think every advertiser is necessarily set up to do it, but I'm seeing more and more adopt that model. And the ones who do are seeing a lot of success. And I think it's a trend that we'll continue to see. Um, so, let me, so let me ask you, if Kim Kardashian comes to your uh, commerce team and says, Neela, I'm going to pay you a million dollars to write an article about this hot new product that I've got. 
How do you guys respond to that? We say no as much as we say yes. And that is very controversial for a way for a revenue stream at a media company, but we think that is so critical to our editorial integrity. There's instances where we say yes, like we do have paid affiliate models, but we only do it with the partnerships where we know our writers would love to write more about a brand, but it literally comes down to the economics of like, we need more writers or we need to like justify giving more inventory to this piece of content versus another. So we've created models around that, but we would say no, if we don't think it's right for the audience, we know ultimately that will actually hurt our brand. Excellent. Totally. Excellent. And, and echoing that as well. And I think the more intertwined publishers get with brands <clears throat> and that brands can actually like tailor their pitches to publishers so that, you know, hey, I've seen that you've covered specific content or products like this in your content. I'd love for you guys to feature us. And what's happening more and more is that editors are actually like hand testing or getting shipped the product to have a personal experience with it. But from a business perspective, yeah, I mean, what's better than, you know, getting free traffic and then only paying in most cases when you get a conversion? Um, and when, and I think the more that the business team does to bet that it's the right product so that editorial is is knowing that this is the right audience, this is the right product, the more they can increase commission rates and the more the brand will want to come back and work with the publisher too. Um, you've seen a surge across various publishers that are doing their own deals days with brands that resident, re resonate very well. And I think you're going to find, you know, uh, I've heard some quote in the past, I think it was by a vendor, but publishers are future retailers um, and not that, you know, BuzzFeed or you know, CNN or whomever is going to be like, you know, a Walmart, but essentially like if you see an advertisement from, you know, a, a brand, you're less inclined to click than if you see a, a publisher speaking on behalf of a brand about a product that they sell. So I think mm -hmm. publishers have a unique way of being able to convince a consumer and the more that the business team works to find the right brands, the more they're compensated accordingly and effectively for those referrals. I mean, it's a dream state for a brand and an advertiser to, to pay not just for the traffic, but but for the conversion. So I think that's why you're continuing to see this channel more and more coming to this channel first before spending a lot on other platforms like Facebook or Instagram, where they're not paying when they get the conversion, they're just paying for the eyeballs. And so yeah. I think uh, that's why the business teams have grown so much across media publishers too, because there's just such an influx of demand to try and work with the publishers because they're seeing such a return on their investment mm -hmm. in dollars. So it's a exciting time and a busy time for the business side, just as much as the editorial side. Yeah. And picking up on the exciting trends, I remember Nilo, when we kicked off, you talked about something you were excited about live shopping. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, we generally, I would say, pride ourselves in being first movers as we see kind of trends evolve and how people are shopping or engaging with shopping content. And I think the industry very much has had an eye to what's happening in China and understand that that consumer behavior exists of like seeing content live, there being that feeling of I need to buy this product immediately and creating mechanisms for that kind of shopping to happen on impulse. So we've been testing with versions of it um, at BuzzFeed. We've done a lot of work with Amazon and, and supporting their kind of Amazon live efforts. We've tested on platforms like Facebook and um, Instagram. And generally, we're getting a lot of learnings and seeing a lot of success in terms of the traffic that we're driving to these streams. And we generally try to take the approach of like getting someone to buy from a live stream is probably a lot more of a difficult task, but at least creating entertaining content that's going to get the eyeballs there and where we can tell our users are engaging as kind of like phase one of like, let's make sure we can build out something robust and meaningful. 
And then from there, let's identify why would a user actually convert from this content or where does shopping actually make sense um, in the context of the sort of entertaining live content that we're creating. So we've definitely had some successes. We plan on doubling down on it in a big way in Q4. Um, but I think it's a trend that's here to stay. It's very early stages and it'll be super fun to see how other publishers start picking it up or creators in the place start um, or in the space start playing with the live commerce space. And for those listening who may not be as familiar with live shopping, how would you explain it? Is this QVC 2.0 or, or how, would, how would you describe it? I think it's QVC 2.0, but with a little bit less of like forceful, like that infomercial selling vibe mm-hmm. is I think what the industry is kind of moving away from. So it is a bit more of like entertainment with shopping woven into it. So what I mean by that is like literally seeing someone like test a product in in real time. And it's not that they're just saying like, wow, this product's amazing. Like you might see it not work or you might see it be a little challenging to work with or you see the surprise of it actually working. Like it's really the kind of like raw authentic side of um, live content. Yeah. So yeah, so I think it, it definitely is 2.0. Very interesting. And, and, yeah. And, and Bryce, um, leading up um, publisher innovation at impact.com, what else um, are you seeing coming down the pipe just in terms of just innovation in the affiliate commerce content partnership space in general? Anything to point to? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's exciting now being on this side because I can see the insights and strategies that different publishers are doing that you might see externally, but then how that actually impacts the bottom line. I think, you know, uh, publishers are getting more savvy with their, you know, straight CPA uh, conversion uh, methods of monetization. So um, you're seeing a lot more diversification of not just getting paid on a a CPA basis. So for generating the conversion, but you're also seeing other things on, you know, a CPC or a flat rate, because again, in some cases, publishers are working really hard to educate the consumer on a new product and they might not end up buying. Um, They might, you know, go to a coupon site or different site. And so I think uh, publishers are really getting more savvy with how they are approaching um, their, you know, uh, payout metrics and, and uh, different, uh, you know, dollar values for valuing, you know, their effort in the customer's journey and just seeing interesting, you know, new ways and, and accolades that publishers are are finding to monetize. So I think that's something that I've definitely found is is relevant. And, you know, publishers are hungry to to find more ways that provide value to the audience, but also bring more revenue to their their bottom line. Yeah. And there was I was talking with a, a major a uh, publisher recently, and one of the trends that uh, she was pointing out was um, in the commerce sections of her sites, uh, a move away from advertising completely, like the display ads around the content and just honing in on optimizing uh, the, the commerce links within the, the uh, information that's being published there. And in doing that, getting 3x the return on their content. It was uh, definitely a, a trend that she was excited about. So uh, I think there's lots lots more to explore there as uh, uh, the publishers uh, really perfect you know that that part of their business. Um, yeah. Let's let's move on to more because um, we're going to wrap up here in a few minutes. I wanted to um, maybe shift the conversation to a little bit more personal, but still professional. And uh, Neela, I wanted to you know just kind of address this question to you specifically. You've had rapid, incredible success in your career, and you've got a significant um, set of responsibilities under you at BuzzFeed. Career-wise, what advice? would you give to the ambitious professionals in our audience who aspire to achieve to that level as well? I mean, the huge driver of my success has been networking and that 
was both at the early stages of my career in terms of networking to find where I ultimately landed in terms of my positions, also networking to just learn about the various different jobs that you don't learn about when you're in college um, and understanding how you can actually put into practice the skill sets you have learned over the years in college or even in high school or through internships. But then later in my career, networking has equally been valuable in terms of facilitating really strong partnerships and identifying huge opportunities with brands that wouldn't have happened if I didn't go to that dinner or take that coffee that someone reached out about. So it's a pretty simple piece of advice, but I would say has completely changed the course of my career. So take every opportunity you can to meet with and get to know people in the industries that you're excited about. And it certainly will pay off. Excellent. And Bryce, along those lines, what's one piece of advice that you would give someone starting out in your career? Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's similar, but it's being very curious. And uh, so in, in my career, I've always been super interested in learning more. And so I think I've only had one job where like, I came in and it's like, you're an account manager. This is what account managers do. But most of the time, they're new roles. And those have always allowed me to be more curious and explore and find new revenue opportunities. And for example, at CNN, you know, there wasn't a commerce team um, and there wasn't a division, but my role in business development was finding new ways. And, and it's exactly what Mila said. Like if I wasn't having three to five conversations with different vendors, partners a week, then I wasn't doing my job. And I was always just very curious, you know, maybe like 70% might not lead to the seven figure, you know, outcome. But then those few conversations you have where you're like, I'm just not sure if it's worth the time or if there's anything there. When you get there, you're you're just so grateful that you actually had the conversation. So I think networking is definitely key, but then I'd say like being curious. Um, and then along the same lines is just always raising your hand. So when a, a manager or a mentor or a friend, maybe not a friend, but a manager or mentor, you know, says like, you know, this is something I'm exploring. Do you want to help as much as you can say yes, because you never know what it can lead to. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Neela, Bryce, thank you so much for taking so much time to share these incredible insights. It's been a great conversation. I've enjoyed it a ton. Hope to invite you guys back on the Partnership Economy podcast. Have a great one. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks so much.